On Monday, August 8th, Tall Can Audio hits 1,000 episodes. Wait, that's still on? Who could possibly still care? And the gang is all here to celebrate. It's euphoric. It's got to be close to Nirvana. It's outstanding. For the first time ever, Maddie, Michaela, Rob, and Matt are all live in studio together. It's happening, you guys! It's happening! Oh my god! Oh my god! I wish you all were here! Is this likely to go well? Just check my notes here. No! At least it will make a lot of noise. Boom. Here comes the boom. A thousand pods and a thousand pints. I don't think I've ever been as proud in my entire life. TCA 1000 drops Monday, August 8th, wherever you find low-quality podcasts. Fuck, it's out of control. Shit. You're listening to Tall Can Audio, Canada's number one craft beer-fueled sports show. I will give you a show like you have never, ever seen before. Why? Because I can. Here's your host. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Matt Robinson. Episode 996 of the Talkin' Audio Podcast. My name's Matt Robinson in our studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Talkin' Audio. We'd love it if you'd uh, give us a follow there, let us know what you think of these episodes. Happy to be welcoming back to uh, the studio today, the guy who made his, his debut about a year ago. Dean Brown is back. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. Was it, was it a year? Yeah, it was about wow. this time last summer, a little, wow. bit, uh, little bit later. It didn't in the seem August. like that long ago. No? Huh? You're coming up on a thousand. We were just talking about that. That's, that's unbelievable. It's it's a lot, yeah. When is, when is 1,000 going to be? What? So we are going to release it on uh, Monday, uh, August 8th. August 8th. Yeah. Who's going to be 1,000? So that'll be kind of our... Uh, None of you outside riffraff. We'll keep it with our <laughs> internal people, right? It's, we don't know if we can trust you guys. Yeah, so. no, I, I, I know I'm completely untrustable. So yeah. <laughs> so uh, my buddy Rob and I, he's the one who helped yep. me start this back uh, back in 2015, episode one. Uh, so he'll be here. Uh, Michaela Schreider joined us during mm-hmm, the pandemic mm-hmm. and started co-hosting a bunch of episodes. So she's coming in, and then uh, got a buddy of mine who's a bit of a night hawk like mine or like myself mm-hmm. down in uh, Toronto, Maddie Lang. And so when something happens late at night or we need a post game yep. show. The Leafs have blown it in Game Seven again, and we're sure. both feeling a little emotional. Uh, he gets the call, the uh, the text that says "You up?" and uh, and he'll jump on it. So he's coming into town as well. Oh, very and, nice. Uh, That's really nice. Yeah. Well, this will be the first time all four of us have ever been in studio together. I've obviously done them in person with each of them one on one, but yeah, yeah. Uh, this will be the first time they've all been here. So that'll be pretty cool. I'm looking so forward to it. So when you look back to when you started this, did you think that you'd still be doing this a thousand later? A thousand's a lot. That like that's, that's <laughs> I'm sure we would finish ten. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would the the guy, like I said, that I mentioned there, Rob, who our listeners obviously know quite well, but he and I had known each other for like a decade. And um, we were always having beer and talking sports mm-hmm. and decided this is so brilliant. We there need to let everyone else hear this too. And uh, the first time we sat down, you would swear we'd never met before in our entire lives. Mm-hmm. It was the most uncomfortable, awkward, stilted conversation. And I, you know, I didn't know how to edit yet. So I sent it off to uh, someone that I, uh, edited the first kind of 10 or 20 episodes while I was teaching myself how to do it. Mm-hmm. And he wrote back and he's like, is this, 
this is it, eh? Like, you sure you want to? <laughs> sure, that sure, was, you wanna, sure you want to put these on the web? Right. You wanna, that was, sure you want to throw these out there? Practice episodes, maybe? Or, uh, so that was very reassuring. Um, but, uh, you know, eventually we got, I'll say, less bad. Mm-hmm. Instead of, uh, I'll stop short of saying we got good at it. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it, um, no, I probably wouldn't have thought. It just seems so far away, a thousand episodes. Yeah. Of and then the right? thing, too, is that most people that I know um, who start doing podcasts, they do it as a hobby that they just mm-hmm. enjoy doing it. But after a while, you know, other things come into their lives and most of them don't make any money or so, such little money that they don't keep doing it because, you know, their income will drop. Most have other things and they never make enough money to really make it their job. Right. So getting to a thousand is a, a pretty amazing thing. It really is. Well, yeah, part of it too is just we enjoyed, we were going to do the same thing anyway. We were going get, to get together, drink beer, talk sports. Man. So it wasn't that hard to keep it going in that regard, right? There is some frustration sometimes when you're, you know, up late editing and trying to get one out or whatever. And it wasn't really until the pandemic started that we started having guests, right? It was mainly just he and I. And yeah. um, once we couldn't get in studio together, I started reaching out to uh, to people to see if they'd uh, come on mostly remotely at the beginning. And and then once you got comfortable having guests, we started doing it in person once we were able to do that again. And many like yourselves have been good enough to accommodate. Yeah. So. Uh, it's been enjoyable, and uh, but yeah, a thousand seems like a lot. Uh, now, is it going to stay the way it is? Are you going to change it into something different? It's going to—is it going to morph into something, or is it you like what you've got and it's a good formula and it works and just keep rolling? Is like it's, where are you at? I, it's hard to say eh? because y- there have been times, especially during the pandemic, where you get a little restless, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah. and um, part of that is. The, the fun of it was meant to be that this table that we're sitting at here was supposed to feel a little like a pub table, right? Yeah. You have a beer. Yeah, and, stands to reason. Yeah, and kick things around. And now it, it's just sort of a recorded phone call and that was less enjoyable. Yeah. And then the we've had waves, so we've been in studio and then back out of studio on the phone again. So I don't know. There's always a little bit of, um, you know, evolution. And uh, I think after episode 1000, I'm going to take a week or two head up maybe back to the lake again mm-hmm. and uh, and we'll ponder things. And, there's and so many different goes. things out there. You know, there's so many different avenues for advertisers. It's it's, it's hard to find your own space. Yeah, I think um, if I'm being honest with you... Uh, well, I'd prefer you lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I kind of regret the name we gave this thing. It doesn't really scream anything, right? Yeah. It doesn't tell people that there's going to be sports here. It's not... It, it does allude a little bit to the beer side of it. Like we like to try craft beers and try that before we get into our conversation, but it yeah. doesn't scream that either. And so that's one of those things that it sounded good in my head when we got started. And part of it was uh, back in the very early days of, of radio. I remember having a radio professor tell me when I was in, in college there. Uh, one of the only things I remember from my days in, in school was that um, the first kind of couple pairs of monitoring headphones that people would use in radio, they were like gigantic yeah. and they would get, they were called tall cans. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And if mm-hmm. you were going to tie the beer thing into it and like, all right, so, but it's really only something that I found clever, right? It doesn't do anything to tell yeah. listeners or advertisers what you got going on here. So if I had that to do over again, I probably can't change would it now. Though. It's too, you're too far at into this, it to change this, it now. That's yeah. it, right? You're a thousand shows into this and what recognition you have built has been built on that. But that does make it a little bit harder to, yeah, to lure sponsors in mm-hmm. this and that. But, uh, you know, it happens when it happens and, and we don't do it to make a ton of money. We just, you know, it's a hobby. It's, it's fun and we still enjoy it. So perfect. It is what it is. At this point, we'll roll on and uh, and we'll kind of evolve after, like I said, a week or two in uh, in August. See how things look when we get back towards 
hockey season starting up, everybody's fired up again at that point, yeah. right? Getting towards Labor Day. So, yeah. uh, speaking of hockey, the uh, Sens been done for a bit. The playoffs are now wrapped up. We've seen the uh, the bulk of free agency and stuff play through. the uh, The hockey world is on vacation. What have you been doing with yours? Oh, not much, you know, still poking away things around the house. Uh, you know, we still haven't gotten everything cleaned up from uh, the big storm. You know, we still have some trees down that uh, I've got to get my butt in gear and get the chainsaw going <laughs> and chop them up and get the boy to throw the uh, the wood in, in piles or back in the bush. So, like, we still have stuff in the off season that, you know, you're doing just poking around, but nothing major. You know, f- for us in the summertime, you know, during during the wintertime, uh, during, well, hockey season, not necessarily the wintertime, but during hockey season, our job is a, you know, a seven-day-a-week job. You know, just because there's no game doesn't mean we're not doing things or having to go places or, you know, so it really is almost a seven-day-a-week thing during hockey season and during the summertime, during the off-season, you know, um, you kind of end up trying to get to more of the things that you've neglected in your home, in your real life, and, uh, you know, with uh, the people in your family that you haven't spent as much time with or done as many things with, and so... Mm-hmm. At least I try to, you know, devote it to that. And the other thing, too, is that uh, um, I, I don't mind saying that I'm uh, uh, painfully lazy. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't have, like some people have these these twangs of guilt if they, you know, lie on the couch for a day and watch TV. They go, I wasted a whole day. I'm kind of like, yeah, well, uh, you know. I'm <laughs> Pretty not, good with it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not that torn up about it. You right. know what I mean? So, um, so you know, that, that makes it easy to put more things off, not having any, any remorse about being lazy. So, you know, that's, that's kind of what you do in the off season. And obviously, you know, I'm keeping track of what's going on in the league every day. And it's, uh, you know, I have my own my own format and, and template for what I use for the games and it requires updating anytime there's something that happens. So I'm always ducking into the office at home and adding this guy and taking that guy off and uh, you know, I keep my own, you know, organizational depth chart of the Sanders. So whose contracts were, you know, just so that I have it in my book when I'm doing games, it's always all there. I'm not, con- you know, I'm not reliant on having to be able to, you know, during a game, you know, get on the web and then, you know, go to cap friendly. And, you know, like you, you don't have the time to, to do all those keystrokes while you're calling a game. Right. If it's in my book in front of me, I know that it's two flips of the page off my depth chart for the game is my organizational depth chart. So if we're having a conversation, I'm not trying to remember, you know, how many years left in this guy's contract. I just take my index finger and flip two and I see where it is. So I have to, you know, for my own person, it's, it's just for me. It's not a, you know, it's a, not a league mandated thing. It's just for me and my preparation and and my memory, um, right. <laughs> stuff that I do, but I do it all year long. So you're, you're always up updating everything. So I guess in in that sense, it is a 12-month-a-year thing, but the off months are really just maintenance and, and your real life rather than your hockey life. Well, the organizational depth chart, I'm sure, required a pile of updating here over the last couple of <laughs> yes. weeks. We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit, but I want to start with uh, this is the first year, I guess, after kind of the, the COVID year, you were back out on the road again. Yes, and, uh, that was great. I was going to ask you, like, is that... Uh, Right away when they came to you with that, were you comfortable with that? What was it like getting back in the swing of traveling with the team again? Uh, I, yeah, I didn't have a problem with it at all. Um, and really the only reason why uh, Gordon and I didn't travel the year before is because it was a league mandate you couldn't. Right. You know, teams were not allowed to have anybody who wasn't on the team on their planes. So, you know, we couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, being back on the road, uh, you know, we were, uh, I'm not, I'm not saying it was fun because we were, if you, if you did travel with the team and the league sent you a whole 
binder of what all the regulations were and everything, if you were going to go back to traveling within their sphere, you had to follow all of the league and the team's rules about, you know, con- and, and contact and everything else and all the, all the safeguards mm-hmm. were far more stringent than people had in most cases in their workplace or whatever. You know, like when we, when we were on the road, um, we, we were not allowed to go out to dinner. You could order something in or have room service. Really? But you, oh, yeah, you couldn't go out. <laughs> and so, you know, so and all those things, and that's fine. You know, to, do the, to be able to do the job and to be able to get back in a broadcast booth and do games live from the venue, it's, it's such a better product for the listeners. It's, it's so much better and and more pure um, when you can see things happening not off a monitor based on what a camera guy chooses to shoot you know so it it was great but i'm not going to say it was super fun spent a whole lot of time you know, i've never we'll put it this way i've never spent this much time in my hotel room and then in january I tested positive for COVID when we were in Vancouver. So the team left to continue their road trip. I had to stay in the hotel in Vancouver for five days. Jeez. So at the very beginning of that, when you're, when you're doing that. You, you just say, said you don't mind. You're yeah, being a little lazy, kick yeah, back. Exactly, but after a day yeah. or two, it's well, probably. And, you know, you're sitting there. Nobody's going to feel bad for you because you're in a five-star hotel in <laughs> Vancouver that someone else is paying for. Right. But when you can't leave the room. Yeah. Then it's kind of it's not as much fun as five you, you know, star prison. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. So um, that was that was no fun. But that being said, Matt, I, w- I wouldn't trade any of it for going back to doing all the games in studio again. The studio thing is um, is is doable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a, you you get a broadcast on the air. It was a necessary evil. Yeah, right? but it's not a great broadcast. Put it this way: it's not even close to the best broadcast we can do. We can do a lot better broadcast, but, you know, you have to live by what it is and what it's going to be, and, you know, that's just the way it was. The next thing I wanted to ask you, actually, and you've kind of taken it right away from me, is I had anything, you know, especially for the American cities, you know, it's been two years since since you were there, mm-hmm. had anything changed, any big turnarounds, things, that, but, I mean, some of that is things you see when you're out and about in the city, and you weren't, you weren't yeah, out and about yeah. in the city. We, so. weren't, we weren't very much. Um, no, it, it was just kind of... You know, back to what you were doing. And it was very different, though, in most of the American cities because, well, I'm not going to say all of them, but many of the American cities we went to, while things were one way here, in a lot of places we went, it's like they were not concerned yeah. about COVID. What's, I, I remember, uh, you know, when, when we were in Florida <laughs> and uh, our producer in Tampa, this gentleman who is our, uh, our in-booth producer in Tampa, um, he was clearly not a guy that... Uh, was big on science or, or big on, you know. And uh, he was saying, well, you know, I got to wear a mask when I come here because it's a building rule, you know, and I, you know, so I got to wear it, but I'm not sure what the point is. And I said, well, I believe, sir, uh, 61,000 people have died in Florida from COVID. So I, I think that might be a part there of is, it. There is a point. Yeah, you know, like it's it, it's not a made-up thing, but, you know, he is one of those guys where, yeah. you know, so, and, you know, have your own opinion. That's fine. So. But, to, you know, science is science. It's, you know. It's well, we're still dealing with it now, right? Just the St. Louis Cardinals just came in to play yeah. the Blue Jays, left their two best players yeah. behind. It's, and you know what, Matt? It, it's, it, in my opinion, again, I'm not a scientist, but in my opinion, it's it's always going to be here. Every, I've, I've, I've just convinced myself that for the rest of my life, each year, I'll be getting at least a flu shot mm-hmm. and a COVID booster right. every year. It's just part. Of, it's just going to be part of my future, and I'm fine with that. I've had COVID twice, mm-hmm. and I really, uh, I really appreciate um, the vaccines because I've uh, 
I had, the first time I had it, I had no symptoms, none, okay. zero. Yeah. And the second time in Vancouver, I had a runny nose for two days. Right. That was it. And I put that down to the fact that the vaccine made sure that I did not get seriously ill. Uh, you know, and I understand there's still a lot of people who think it's supposed to stop you from not getting it in the first nah. place, but that's never been the science. Right. Like if you paid attention to what they've always said is they've always said with this particular thing, you know, the, the, uh, the vaccines will stop you from getting yeah. seriously ill keep or very, yeah, and keep you out of hospital and, and keep you from dying. If for the most part, there's always going to be upset, uh, exceptions. Sure. And I accepted that. So when I got it, I didn't say, oh, the thing didn't work. I got COVID. <laughs> I just said, well, I, I, I don't feel sick. So that's the v- vaccine doing its job. Yeah. And I, I, I just resigned myself to the fact that every year, because every year up until now, I've been getting the flu shot right. anyway. Yeah. And uh, so now it'll be the flu shot and I'll get a COVID shot and just live my life and everybody else will live theirs. Well, it's funny to think, like, I I think you're right. I think a lot of people, like, you can't be afraid forever. You can't live in lockdown forever. These things, you know, it it seems like it's it's here at least, as you said, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, But it's funny, as the media moves on, as the, like, we don't hear, the numbers are still very high. We just don't hear anything about it anymore, right? So I don't know what the balance is, right? How much you should still... But they're saying like more people in hospital now than at this time a year ago. And if you look at the world right now, you would not suspect that that's, yeah. that that's the case. So, it's <clears throat> But again, you know, it's still um, the majority of the people who are getting seriously ill are either non-vaxxed or non-boosted. Yep. And so, yep. you know, sadly, it continues to make the case for the science. And I, and I know there's people who are listening to this or, you know, they have their own opinions and they think I'm just always, you know, my mom was a nurse. I, I'm just... I'm just always one of those people that trust science. Yep. You know, science has saved tens of millions of lives, and why you st- start not trusting them now over this? Like, there's some secret agenda somewhere. <laughs> I, I, I just don't get that mentality. You know? I don't I just, either. I just don't understand it. You know? it and it's it's funny. Like, it, it's it seems like a lot of people have stopped being willing to defer to someone else. Like. Like, I have no problem saying that the people who raced out that vaccine for us in a hurry are smarter than me. I got no problem. That yeah. doesn't hurt my ego, whatever. But even if you can't get yourself there, all you have to really admit is they know more about this than I do, yeah. right? But it seems like somewhere along the line, we all, not we all, but a lot of people decided, no, I, I'll, I'll look it up for myself or I'll, I'll figure yeah. it out or all the, and I just, I can't get there right on that. Same thing if you, I got to build a bridge. Okay, well, we're not going to consult the, the, you know, scientists who came up with the vaccine on that will go speak to civil engineers and yeah. construction work. Like we all have our areas of expertise. And at some point it's like people just decided, I don't want to defer to anyone else's. Yeah. Well, when people started quoting Joe Rogan as part of their research, <laughs> that's, that was, that was always the, the tip to me that you may not be getting solid right. information. Now you may be listening to the wrong person, you know? That's been such a bummer for me. I'll be <laughs> honest with you, Dean, because I, I really am into the UFC and mm-hmm. he is fantastic on those broadcasts. Yeah. But if you listen to his podcast or anything, you're just like, oh my God, like this is mind numbing. And it's, that was painful for me to hear Joe Rogan become an expert in things that aren't mixed yeah. martial arts. Well, you know what? It, 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 remind, it reminds me of a friend of mine who said, you know, it's like building a house. And I said, okay, I, I don't understand the time between building a house and differing opinions. He said, it would be like if you interviewed the electrician to tell you how to plumb the house. No, you ask no. the plumber right. how you plumb the house. And you like ask the electrician. And the foundation, that's done by a guy who does foundations. Yes. There's no one guy that's going to tell you about everything in the house. The general contractor will even tell you, well, you should talk to the electrician about that. Mm-hmm. So 
Joe Rogan's an electrician talking about plumbing. It's right. not shocking that he's not he's totally not correct. correct. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, <clears throat> but, you know, like you you know the lure. When you're doing these kinds of shows and there's topics out there, you want to talk about them. So you give it your best shot. Well, some people who have degrees and have knowledge based on that being their pursuit for their life probably know more about it than the UFC guy. Yep. You know. No doubt about that. But that yeah. doesn't stop the UFC guy from talking about it, thinking that he knows his butt from a hole in the ground. Right. But, but you know, hey, that's, that's, that's life. It's still, I, I think it's still all of our responsibility to go and educate ourselves. And like you said, that's where you go to medical people and virologists mm-hmm. and, you know. Epidemiologists. Not, yeah, and these epidemiolo- guys. you know, the people who do this for a living. Not and comedians and podcasters. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, like I, I, I said once to one of my friends that I grew up with and he and I are on very different sides of the scale on this. Uh, and, I, and I said to him, I said, Clay, he's talking about, well, this and Trudeau said that and this. And I, said, I said, Clay, I said, the day you're getting your medical advice from a politician, mm-hmm is the day you should just turn off the TV. <laughs> just stop doing that. Because I know they talk a lot because they're asked a lot of questions. Because, But the people they're talking to are yes. the ones that you should be listening to. The scientists are the ones you should be listening to. Right. Don't – Doug Ford is not an epidemiologist. Mm. Justin Trudeau right. is not a virologist. You know, so stop listening to politicians. Yeah. <clears throat> but, you know. We have experts in these things and, and yeah, it's – you're right. The, the politicians get pushed out front to be the face of it and, and – if you happen to fall on the opposite political side from them, then now you're less likely to take the advice. Maybe we should just let the doctor yeah. speak for himself. You know, when I, when my ankle hurts, I don't go to my mechanic and ask him what's wrong. No. <laughs> I guess just, just, I go to a different place. It's you know? true. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about as it, uh, and this is why, you know, like you said, I don't want to be Joe Rogan. You're the expert on the senators, not me. So I'm the expert on nothing, but okay. shoot. All right. Not being an expert doesn't stop me as, you know, I, I, I look up to Joe Rogan in that area. <laughs> um, you know, the things right now seem extremely positive for the Senators. They've had mm-hmm. a big off season yep. uh, and we got, uh, you know, a new arena is coming. Alfie's going into the Hall of Fame and everything looks really good moving forward. But it seemed like coming into this past season, a lot of fans were of the opinion that this thing was ready to turn the corner and it just never quite happened this year. They got off to another rough start. They had a horrible run with COVID uh, just before the holiday season that really put them behind the eight ball. They had some injuries. When did it feel to you like this was going to be another lost season or things maybe are going off the rails a little? Last year, probably after the first month. Yeah. Um, because I think, I think last year, uh, before the season started, there was legitimate, um, legitimate reason to be optimistic. Not that the team would necessarily be a playoff team, but that uh, I think if you remember back and when we talked about this the last time, and it, was still, it, was, it still ended up being very true, for last year's version of this team and where they were, Improvement in within the core players, that was the number one thing. When people ask me, you know, what's a successful season? Well, it wouldn't be making the playoffs because I didn't think that was possible. I thought if all the stars aligned, sure. that they might be able to be in a run up until the end of the season. So they would be in by a little or be out by a little. If all the stars aligned, mm-hmm. which uh, for them in the first month, none of the stars no, aligned. Exactly. Just a rash of injuries to all the wrong people, COVID, they got bad goaltending and just they got in too big a hole early on to ever make that a reality. And 
You know, last year I think, and it's it really sounds like an excuse for them, but it, it really isn't. It just is the way it is. Um, they had a lot of bad luck, and luck is a part of any sport. Luck is a part of life. And the number of important players that they had injured for too long, and you combine that with two bad, gutting bouts of COVID that a couple of other teams endured at the same level, but not the entire league. Most of the other teams in the league didn't have that many was it players. The Isles out. was the other one, or was um, it the Devils? Some the, of those. The, well, the the Islanders and Vancouver were yes, the, were the two right. teams that had the two biggest guts, right? As far as their roster went, for the longest number of games. Yeah, you know there there was uh, there was a couple of games there, and I, and I said this on the air, and I know some. Some people at the league weren't happy about it because, you know, our broadcast airs on Sirius Radio. Mm. And, and so, you know, and I, I know some people at the league weren't particularly happy with me. But my point was, you know, with, with what happened in, with Vancouver and what happened with Ottawa, those two situations, I think they sh- the teams should have been shut down by the league sooner than that because it was a disservice to the fans. If you're a paying fan, yeah. you know, for, for a couple of those games there, it was primarily an AHL roster. And Vancouver was in the same situation. When you're missing 17 players, yeah. 17 players of a 20-man roster. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be allowed yeah. to ice that in the preseason. In the preseason, you wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, you, in the preseason, you can't. No. You have to have nine yep. established NHL players or first-round draft picks for a preseason game. You know, so... They played through that because they had no choice. And same with Vancouver and the Islanders had to play where you're just going, come on, that's not, that's, you know. But it is what it is. They went through it. And at the end of the year when they started getting goaltending and their better players started getting healthier, they were a very competitive team. So they kind of ended the year where I thought they would be for most of the year. Um, but most of the year they weren't, and I'm I'm not sure that I would say it was their fault. You know, again, not looking for excuses for anybody, but yeah. the reason they could never get to be that team were just you know when you when you don't have your best players in some cases for months on end, mm-hmm. you know, and in some cases you, you never you never did get to see who Shane Pinto is, right? You know, like you, you know, looked pretty good in limited action, yeah, but that yeah, was about that it. Was about it you know, like, and, and that's just one guy. You know, and you're going through everybody. When you end the season, there's only two guys who haven't missed a game because of COVID. You know, that's just it's it's just it's ridiculous. <laughs> Is that so, the number that's nuts. Yeah. Well, the only two guys were Zub and uh, and Brady Kachuk. Those are the only two guys that wow. didn't miss games because of COVID. So you know, like the rest of your roster, and if you remember as well, at the same time, there were guys they wanted to call up that they couldn't because guys in Belleville were in COVID right. protocol. Yeah. So it it wasn't just an Ottawa thing. It was an organizational issue that they had. Mm-hmm. Um, but this year, I I, I kind of think that. You know, I don't think it's a guarantee that this team is going to be a playoff team. But um, if they get goaltending and they can stay away from injuries and illness uh, with the additions to this team, this team, I think, is a very strong contender to be a playoff team in the East, which is saying something because there's some very good parity in the Eastern Conference. But the additions they've made have been so dramatic and so... um, Something you don't see very often, like just in the case of Dubrincic, you just you can count on one hand the number of times in a decade forty goal scorers are available to be moved. Yeah. It just it's just something that just doesn't happen. So now you've got one that's a you know not a guy who you know we think in the right environment could get close to forty goals or you know he used to be you know four years ago this is a guy who's a forty goal scorer today. Yeah, you know so. Nice and young with nice the core and, group. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, um, with with Giroux, that is such a huge thing. Not just the fact that he can still play. You know, he's 34, but he can still play. Mm-hmm. But for me, and I've, I've said this all along, if you're trying to equate value in any kind of transaction, 
my point is, if you just if you take away everything else, whatever he can do points wise, whatever he can do goals wise, and you know, whatever his face off numbers are going to be, and he's always been a top five face off guy in this league his entire career. But one of my points is for for a franchise, what is the value? Try and put a dollar value on what it is if Claude Giroux can make Norris, Pinto, whoever the fourth line center is, Castellic, you know. Um, uh, um, uh, oh, I'm having a brain cramp here. Stutzla. Our young German friend Stutzla. Yes. If he if he can increase, this is why the, you got to bring the book. With yeah, yeah. If I had my book, it's just two two finger strokes of the index finger, um, and my failing brain. Right. Um, but if 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 all those guys are five percent better in the face-off circle because they spend time after practice every day with Claude Giroux, what is the value of that? Because then you'd have all four of your centers in the in the fifty percent range, mm-hmm. which puts you in the top third of the league. Well, what if you were a team where all of your centers were a fifty percent or above player, and one of them is a right because Claude will play right wing. Yeah. One of them is a right winger who's one of the three best face-off guys <laughs> in the league. Right. So where are your puck possession numbers? You know, what are your war numbers? You start going into your analytics. You just look at what that does, not just for Giroux and not for guys he plays with, but for the entire team. What's it do for your defense? You're what up and out of the zone it, that yeah, much exactly, quicker. Exactly, exactly. You know, you're winning the faceoff in your own zone, so you're starting with the puck on Shabbat stick, yeah. not winning back or fighting to get it back. So for me, the Giroux signing, the Claude Giroux signing is not just what Claude can do and how many points Claude can get. They stand a very and, and maybe maybe they don't learn anything. Maybe they maybe he's not a good teacher. Maybe he's one of those guys like Gordy Howe that just can't explain how he does things, but he does them at a level nobody else is at. You mm-hmm. know, and and maybe it won't be a, a great thing. But I'm just saying there's a possibility that you have one of the best faceoff guys in the league. And like I said, if he makes just take a number, if he makes all four of your regular centers five percent better over the next three years, yeah. Or more. Yeah. What does that mean for your team? You know, that's that's a huge, huge thing, and it's not something that people generally work out because most of the time, when people are evaluating those things, they look at the guy's individual stats yeah. and his individual numbers and his indiv- individual analytics. But Claude Giroux is the kind of guy who can impact other players that he doesn't even end up playing with. You right. know. Yeah. What do you, you know? You've been here with the franchise since since day one. Yes. Can you remember? a week, a two-week period like this where things turned on a dime in terms of the view of the front office and the excitement level of the fans. And I've asked a couple of other people who cover the Senators the same question, just yeah. sort of in a, you know, the the conversation that has come out, you know, or, or the, you know, the thing that's come up a couple of times is that one off-season where both Heatley and Hoshik mm-hmm. come to Ottawa now it's spread out a little more and, you know, Hoshik is a little older at this point, yeah. but, uh, and, you know, but Danny Healy is a, bon- I wasn't here and I don't obviously cover the team as closely. This feels like on a dime. Now, sometimes people overshoot it a little and you're excited. I kind of yep. get that right. They're going right to the playoffs and, and they may, um, but can you remember a period like this? Cause we are also right on the heels when this is happening of the arena and on Alfie to the Hall. Yeah. And all of it happens in this kind of very quick little succession yeah. that I don't know if I can ever remember in my kind of time from a distance looking at the Senators and going. Yeah, well, you know, I have a horrible memory, so I might be the wrong guy to ask uh, because when people, uh, I remember when people say things, but my ability to recall has always been terrible. I think you might be right. I don't think there's ever been a window mm-hmm. that has been this good because, you know, now people look at, and, you know, 
I, I guess one of the benefits of being an old guy is that I have the benefit of having been there when things happened, not looking back and remembering what it was or having people tell me I was there. <laughs> and the one thing, and my son was big on this because he was a big Healy fan, um, we've had this conversation many times. He remembers Danny Heatley and scoring 50. Mm -hmm. I said, but when they got Danny Heatley, Connor, it was not a, not a popular thing. Yeah. Because they got Danny Heatley because they couldn't re-sign Marion Hosa. Right. You know, so this city at that time didn't see Danny and Heatley as a guy coming. had some clouds over his head. Well, yeah, he'd been he, through some stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, he'd been he, in that, uh, that accident, yes, the yeah. motor vehicle accident in Atlanta where he was driving and mm -hmm. one of his best friends in the car died. Yeah. You know, so yeah, there was, there was a lot of stuff hanging over top of him. And... You know, so I said to Connor, I said, you know, your generation, you remember Danny Heatley being here, but you don't remember who he replaced. Right. You know, and, and that was one of those things that I think really started to make people really seriously understand the the economics um, of the game as it related to Ottawa. You know, when Ottawa started, everybody knew it was going to be a low-budget team. There was no mistaking that. And they said that and they said openly, you know, when they started, Randy Sexton and Cyril Leader and Mr. Firestone, you know, we're going to spend as little as we can, try to build this team through the draft. When the team gets better and we move into a bigger building out of the Civic Center, we have more revenue, we're going to, you know. And so no one, no, no one expected them not to have one of the lowest, if not the lowest, uh, you know, salary structures in the league. That was expected. Right. But you know, when, when John Muckler was the, the general manager, and, and I, I remember going through this, and I remember, you know, asking, asking Muckler about it, and, you know, he said, I, I told Marion Hosa's agent, he said, you know, um, we want Marion. We don't want Marion to go anywhere. We, we want, you know, but if we, pay, if we pay him the money that he wants, we'll have to trade him immediately. We can't afford that contract. Right. And, you know, after it happened, I remember asking John, this was months later. I said, so, you know, how did that whole dynamic? He said, to, to, to the very time that we were traded, that's why Marion was crying and told the media he was shocked he got traded. They thought I was bluffing. They thought it was a, they thought it was a negotiating tactic. So when I traded Marion Hosa for Danny Heatley, um, money was exactly the reason. We did not want to trade Marion Hosa, but he would not sign a contract that wasn't at a certain level. So we signed him to that contract and then had to trade him because we couldn't afford that contract. You know, Danny, Danny Heatley was the economical second choice. Right. He, you know, but like I said, my son is younger. He doesn't remember that side of it. He just remembers how good Danny Heatley ended sure, up being. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so uh, you know, I, I said, Connor, at the time, people didn't view that trade here in town the way you view it now. Right. You know, history it has shown that. It wasn't a positive, yeah, necessarily. Yeah, you know. And, and you know, one, one of the things was that at that time, um, you know, in, in a certain way, it was the same with Martin Havlett. Because if you remember at a time, down the right wing of Ottawa, you had Alfredson, Hosa, and... Uh, and uh, yeah, it was uh, scary. It was scary. Yeah. But the other thing that you can't do is satisfy three guys. Right. Because, you know, one of the things with Marion was that he knew that he would be the number one right winger on almost any other team he went to. Mm -hmm. If he stayed in Ottawa, he's number two for as long as he's here because Alfie wasn't going anywhere. Right. You know, and for Marty Havlett, it was even bigger. You know, basically he had to learn how to play the left wing to be able to get into the top six at any particular time in the power play when he wasn't suffering a groin injury. You know, like, <laughs> poor guy. I don't know if I've seen anybody that has to, had to endure through so many groin injuries and just so prone to them. But, man, it was just – it was so unfortunate. But, any, but anyway, so I, I think it all depends on historically what you were around for, mm -hmm. what part of that – 
you remember. Because, you know, if you're looking about a window of, of optimism, when it happened, people were not super optimistic about Danny Heatley. Because as you said, he was coming in with that cloud, the off-ice cloud, yeah. and he was the guy who had to replace Marion Hosa. Yeah, like, right, try and replace Marion Hosa, you know. And yeah. Marion left t- town, you know, crying, and he didn't want to go, and he was shocked he got traded. And I think that was the first really, it's a business reality stamp that hit, you know, some in the fan base right in the forehead. That was when, you know, you first lost, you know, what you knew was going to be a star player who would become a superstar player. And it was because of money. Yeah. Yeah. No question about that. And uh, that's really interesting. I uh, obviously, like I said, I wouldn't remember it that way. I wasn't even here. You kind of cloud it with look how good Heatley ended up being while he was here. But uh, it has been fascinating to kind of watch from... I was going to say from a distance, but my Twitter mentions are pretty close up. People like to rub my nose in the uh, the <laughs> off season that the Senators are having compared to the Leafs, and and then some places where those two may intertwine. Um, it's it's been fascinating to see how quickly things have turned, and I'm seeing it in my Twitter timeline. People uh, keeping their own word or promises to themselves that said, you know, when I felt like it was time, I'd be back. And there's people posting screenshots of the confirmation email yeah. on their their new flex pack or mm-hmm. their season tickets and what it's it, it's incredible how quickly people have turned the corner on wanting to be a part of this thing again and um you know i to me there was i think 30 some odd points between the senators and the playoffs i expect boston to fall back i actually expect toronto might fall back a little um ottawa's going to take a step forward it's a ton of ground to make up but I do think Ottawa at this point looks like a team that will be in the mix much, much longer than, um, you know, and it probably puts a little pressure on DJ Smith. He can't get off to the slow start that this no, team has endured no. the last couple of years. No, absolutely. And you know what? They're all big boys. They know that. They know it's the nature of the business. And, you know, um, you're now getting a roster that should be able to win. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not saying they're going to win the Stanley Cup next no. year, but this, uh, you know, and, and, and I understand people doing the math is saying, well, you know, uh, I don't expect them to be able to flip 30-point differences. And I just say, well, you know what? Yes and no. You know, again, we don't have to theorize. We can go to things that we know. Um, what, five years ago, Colorado had 44 points? Yep. Last, dead last in the league. And I, I think this year they won the Stanley Cup. That's true. Yeah. So <laughs> this this idea that you, uh, you can't hopscotch with bigger hops um, is simply not true. We have seen in this league that teams can do that. You know, when, when the Islanders changed their coach, which they've now fired, yeah. <laughs> um, they improved their goals against 100 goals in a year. Well, there's no metric that says that's normal. No. <laughs> but that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Yeah. And so all, all I'm saying is with the dramatic changes that Ottawa has made and to my way of thinking, um, how good they – how much better they likely would have been last year right. had they not been injured, ill, and gotten poor goaltending, yep. that the jump isn't as big as people might think. Because I've said – I started saying last year that – this team is going to get to a point where it doesn't continue to ascend in a linear fashion. Get a little bit better, get a little bit better. I think this is going to be one of those teams that when they get good, they're going to pop. It's not going to be a, a continued climb. It's going to be a pop and up they go quick. Right. Because all the key players on this team all have about the same amount of experience now. And all of them are about the same age, which means they're all going to get to their prime or their best years Around the same yeah. time. So, you know, when, when you have all these guys who are 22, 23, 24, and that is, you know, the, the core of your team, mm-hmm. they're all going to get 
to their, you know, best years at the same time and sooner. This and I saw a stat the other day. I think Cat Friendly did it, um, projecting what Ottawa's top twelve forwards would be. Ottawa, based on their projection of who will be in the top uh, six on this team, um, their top six forward would be the youngest top six in the league. And that's with Claude Giroux. <laughs> and that's with Claude Giroux. So you know that, but that tells you that this this team would be more in line to have one of those pop yes, years yeah. than other teams might have. Because I think already as an entire roster, they're like number five or something like that as far as youth goes. So there's so many players on this team that will be in their prime together. And anyway, so we'll see if it happens. Yep. But I, I just think that this team is going to end up being a pop team. When they get really good, they're going to get really good and it's going to happen very fast. Yeah, it's a great point. As you bring in these new pieces, you're looking at the internal growth also of the group that's already here, plus the health, maybe it isn't as big of a, a jump as, as you suggest there. That's, yeah. uh, you still have stuff to do. Like you, sure. you look at that defense and that, yeah. that defense is still not good enough to be a team that's going to contend for anything. But, you know, they've made it very clear. Pierre Dorian, I think, has been very transparent with everybody saying, I'm not done. Like, obviously, he hasn't gotten a deal done uh, to get a, another top four defenseman in there. But I think if anybody thinks he's not trying to do that every right. day, he is. And I think at some point that will happen. And I think one of the reasons it, it will happen before or very early into the season is, and again, Matt, this is not any kind of a genius evaluation. You just look at around the league and see how many teams are still jammed hard up against the cap, and some teams are over the cap. So what that means is they can go through training camp over the cap, but by the time you get to the first game of the regular season, you have to be cap compliant. Well, those contracts don't evaporate just because they're awkward for you now. You know what I mean? Like, so all the teams that are in that situation, they got to fix it before the, what, when's the first game? October 13th or whatever, you know, whatever it is. So that's, that's kind of like the countdown. And a team like Ottawa can take advantage of that. Or it opens up a gap somewhere in the marketplace where someone's going to have to move somebody and they can't go after a free agent they might like to go after because they don't have the space for it, but Ottawa can. So that is still, I think, very much in Pierre Dorian's favor. It's wild with that flack. Like how many good players are still out there right now? John Klingberg is still out there. Nazem Kadri is still unsigned. Yeah. Sonny Milano, like it's a 40-point guy. Uh, Danton Heinen just signed back in Pittsburgh. He was asking for $3 million when free agency opened. He signed for one because yeah. that's all anybody's got left in terms of... Yeah, in terms of space right now. So you're right, that will open up some, uh, you know, some space when other teams have to deal guys to make room or, or whatever. I want to, maybe these things tie together, maybe they don't, you'd be in a better position to judge this, but I was going to ask you next about the legacy of Eugene Melnick mm-hmm. with, uh, with the Senators, but maybe before we get completely there, is there anything to be read right now into the fact that Pierre Dorian's running around looking like a genius right now, quite frankly? And that hadn't been the case for the last few years. Has, has he been, you know, the gloves been or the whatever, the, the leash been taken off or is this just a timing thing? Do these things tie together in any way in your opinion? I think, I think it's more, maybe not exclusively, but I think it's more uh, a timing thing. Uh, you know, Mr. Melnick, when he was alive, he, he was an owner that wanted to be involved in decisions and wanted to know. And if he had misgivings or didn't want to do something, you know, he would, you know, uh, be directly involved. Um, Right now, I think it's fair to say with uh, you know with the with the group, the management group that 
is running the team, they leave the hockey decisions uh, to Pierre Dorian. He's got the budget and go do what you want. But but the other thing is, and I was mentioning this a couple of weeks ago, you know, if you if you just go back and look at the the things that have been said publicly by the organization when Mr. Melnick was still alive, mm-hmm. you know, this this always was the plan. I think the plan got pushed ahead or back one year because of last year. The unparalleled I mean, success. Yeah, yeah. I the... think I think last year was the year where that push would be made, where you want your young stars to kind of take over the team, which they had, mm-hmm. but they weren't in a position to be able to push the way they are now. But the plan always was bank money until you get to the point where this core is good enough to make the next step and use that bank money to go out and get you know, I, veteran players to... And to be fair, yeah. nobody made any money last year, right? In the no, empty yeah, arenas yeah. Oh, and yeah, for, sure. for a small budget team like the Senators... For that sure. was going to hit harder than it did for some teams, yeah. right? But, so. you know, that was banked money that they talked about publicly, that Dorian... I remember I remember the, the first media conference that they had when they announced after 2017 they were going to tear it down to the studs. And they said, the player's the plan. And they want to make sure everybody understood the plan. And they said, you know, we're going to tear this down. We're going to trade a lot of very valuable assets and there will be pain involved in doing this. And there certainly has been and yeah. there was. Um, and then we're going to start building through the draft. And when we have a core that's ready to transition, we're going to use money that we've banked through the rebuild to add veterans when it's appropriate to make this a competitive team that can be competitive for a decade or longer. Well, my contention would be that Mr. Melnick would have been more directly involved in the decisions and knowing what they were, but I'm not sure that things would be any different if he were still alive because this always was the plan. This was like... Pierre Dorian, when he's been asked publicly, and I can tell you privately when, you know, we have these conversations in a hotel lobby or something, this always was the plan. So when people, you know, say to me, you know, they say, well, you know, Melnick died and all of a sudden there's a lot of money around. So obviously he was just, uh, I I don't know what he was doing with it. But what I do know was that this was always the plan, whether he was alive or not. And the management group that was put together was not put together you know, after he passed away or shortly before, that management group was put together a couple of years ago. This was going to be the structure of the team going forward, whether Mr. Melnick was alive or not. So I I can see where, you know, a lot of people see it's a very clear thing when you've got such a a dominant person like Eugene Melnick and you have your thoughts on what you think it is and what you think he is and what you think the plan is and whether you think he meddles too much or he's too cheap or doesn't have it or whatever, whatever it is you believe. Um, I can see where people would say, ah, see, there you go. He's, he's not here, and all of a sudden now they have lots of money to spend. Well, it's the same team. It's making the same amount same of money. Budget, yeah. And, you know, so the budget is the budget. But, you know, from the very beginning, this always was the plan. So I'm not shocked that they're spending this money now and transitioning to this because this is what we've all been told year after year since the beginning of the, of the teardown. Right. JR was in here a month or two ago, mm-hmm. and uh, we agreed that perhaps the best word to describe uh, Eugene Melnick's tenure owning the Senators was complicated. Yeah. And uh, he rode in here as a hero, saved the team from bankruptcy, kept it alive. The team had some good years uh, under his stewardship. As time went along, that relationship, for any number of different mm-hmm. reasons, began to sour, and uh, many fans stopped supporting the team, at least stopped spending their money on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, up until the time that at the end of this season, he passes away. What do you think of, you know, when you look at the big picture of his time owning the senators, what do you take away? I think I'm like you, Matt. There's, there's a whole bunch of things. Um, 
you you can you know if if you're a, someone who's never been a fan of Eugene Melnick, you just don't like him, you hate him, always have whatever. Um, that's you're allowed to have those opinions. That's that's fine. But one of the things that is simply a fact is that um, whether you liked him or not, there wouldn't be a team in Ottawa if it wasn't right. for Eugene Melnick. And I know some people say, yeah, well, that's a long time ago. Stop riding on that one. Well, it, it doesn't it doesn't change. There wouldn't be a team in this marketplace if uh, you know if Mr. Firestone and Randy Sexton and Cyril Leader didn't have a dream and then tried to make it come true. That's just a fact. Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, this team wouldn't be alive if Rod Bryden uh, kind of didn't pull it out of the, the ditch and keep it alive. He got to the end of the line and he just couldn't financially do it. And if, if, if Eugene Melnick didn't show up, there would not be a team here still. Uh, all the things that happened you, during you know, Eugene's time with the team, to be honest with you, um, the way I look at it is the people who don't like Eugene or didn't like Eugene – it didn't matter what happened, they weren't going to like him. Right. The people who did like him, no matter what happened or how negative a story was, they liked him. And so that's just the way it was going to be. And there's a group in the middle um, that don't really care who owns sports teams. They no. look at it as a commodity. I want to go watch the thing or I don't. And I don't really care much about you know, what the owner is doing or saying. Just do I like going to watch hockey yeah, or don't? two I? Saturdays a year yeah. I can take my family to. Yeah, that's you know, the so you know, there's the, you know, the people that I talked to, the people that absolutely hated Eugene, they just could not fathom that there were any fans that were in that middle group. Well, how could, how could you not absolutely hate him? Well, some people never consider who owns any team. Nope. And the people who like him, who've known him for years and known all the money that he's and the things he's done for charity, go, hey, this hasn't run smoothly, but why are you vilifying this guy and making him out to be this horrible human being? Well, those people you're never going to convince that he's ever as horrible as the people who hate him think he's, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so it, to me, it's, it's always, it's always been, you know, which, which group were you in? And th- it was very tribal in the sense that there was not many people who ever got talked out of their group, you know, like the Eugene supporters, nobody ever talked them out of the group. The, the Eugene haters, nobody ever talked them out of the group. And the people in the middle said, Eugene who? Right. You know what I mean? So um, from the beginning to the end, the thing that I found interesting was that never changed. You know, like that, that, that never, that never changed. He could never swing back over the people that hated him. And, um, he could never, you know, there was the, the group, that group could never persuade the people that we were either ambivalent or liked him to not waste their time and emotion, you know, liking him because he's, he's terrible. He's terrible for the franchise, but that's, you know, that was their opinion. And from what I saw, there's very few that ever left the camp they were in. You know, you just, you, you couldn't convince anybody to get out of whatever camp they were in. People, uh, I think we're getting more and more like that in a lot of walks of life right yeah, now. Yeah, maybe, uh, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. But uh, no, you're right. And it, it, when you talk about a guy like Eugene Melnick, um, we see only a very public facing version of him, right? Mm-hmm. It, it was yeah. sad at times after the passing. I'm anything obviously but a Senator's fan, but the guy had family and friends who couldn't possibly have cared less about his hockey ownership and yeah. what the Melnick out. It was just sad to see that a lot of people couldn't get around the, the fact that that was one element of his life. It was a big element mm-hmm. and it was yep. his most public facing element, but you know, it, it was disappointing to see the joy that some people appeared to take out of a man's passing. That was. Yeah. And I, I was, uh, I have to admit, I was disappointed with some people, um, the day of and the, the, the next day already like not not caring or 
have any kind of uh, emotion or forethought for his family, his daughters, his partner. You know, what they were going through was, okay, who's going to own the team tomorrow? Well, hold, hold on. Yes. Like, hold, hold your horses here. Can yep. you not have a bit of compassion here? You know, there's, a, there's two young girls who are mourning the loss of their father, and this is – Right. I, 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 have to, I have to admit that uh, um, I found that a bit distasteful, and I, and I would for anybody. You know, like uh, if, if, if this were my last day on earth, I would hate to think that this afternoon people's biggest concern, well, who's going to get his job? Right. Yeah, there's going to be plenty of time to have that conversation, you know, like, but like, are you not thinking about my family, about the people that I love, what they're going through, mm-hmm. you know, those things, do those, do those human things not come to you first? Do you hate a man that much that you will just deny his humanity and the humanity of his family? There, there is a time to have all those conversations. Sure. I'm not saying they shouldn't happen, but the day of, the next day, that week, really? Like... I, I just I, I was I was very disappointed in some people who seemingly they they hated him so much they seemingly could not see the his humanity or more importantly the humanity of his loved ones and have just a shred of compassion for them just for a while just for a little while and that's saying I've 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 only ever met the daughters once it's not right. like I know them and because I don't but for anyone's family, for anyone's loved ones, just a, just a sliver of humanity, just for a little while, just, and I don't know what the perfect time frame is, Matt. I don't know how many days, weeks, months, I, I don't know what the perfect number was, but that soon just felt so wrong and so dispassionate to me anyway. Right. Uh, not an easy way to transition out of that. Uh, there is no, there no, is no easy way. No. There is no easy way. Um, I wonder <clears throat> what you think. We are actually just over a week away from the World Juniors. And yeah. they are going to take place under the shadow of, man, some horrible new horrible things coming out of Hockey Canada right yeah. now. Uh, rightfully so, Hockey Canada's having their feet held to the fire by, uh, by the Canadian government and uh, by the media right now. Um, I got to tell you, I haven't even seen a Canadian roster. Like, I don't know if we know yet who's playing on this thing, but I wonder how many kids... Even outside of the August time frame and the fact that some teams maybe wouldn't let their kids go at this time of year or whatever, I wonder how excited you'd be to come rushing into, you know, what is no doubt going to be a hornet's nest of media yeah. asking you, what does it mean to put that logo on right now? And what do you think? Look, I'm 18 years old. Yeah. I, I, I want to play for Canada. Do I really want to be involved in this hornet's nest? I, I wonder how much that's on some of these players' minds. Well, because they're kids, because they are 18-year-olds, and in some cases they'll even be 17-year-olds. Yeah. Um, um, they're going to be excited because they know what it means uh, as far as a tournament goes, and they know what it means for their hockey future. And some of them will have, I think, the the maturity to understand that there's a bigger question surrounding them, and they will be obviously um, – going through some media training before it yes. to how to, how to handle the questions about things that they had no involvement in or understanding or probably even up until the last couple of weeks even any knowledge right. about and so they'll be given instruction on how to answer those things as well they should you know they they should be protected should we from ask something them? is it worth asking people these are, well players? you know whether you should or shouldn't um, they're going to be asked oh they are right. they're, they're going to be asked we ask, we ask people all the time questions about things they have I, I in a very benign way you know not something as serious as this but I always get a kick still to this day you know when when people ask 
you know, a, a 19-year-old rookie on the Ottawa Senators team about his first battle of Ontario. Right. Well, it was never, it wasn't even alive <laughs> no. for it, has no understanding. Then the actual battle of Ontario is decades ago. The like, two teams have alternated yeah, being yeah, terrible yeah, ever there's, since. Yeah, there's <laughs> nobody who was around who was still involved in those things no. other than the broadcasters, right. you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so I always have to laugh when somebody thinks that's an actual legitimate question. Yeah. The, the subject of the question has no understanding of it. He just, so he's just, yeah, I, I hear it's uh, been a great rivalry for many, just it's one of those boxed up questions yes. that doesn't deserve a good answer because, frankly, it's a stupid question. In today's day and age, it's a stupid question. It is, yeah. Yeah. When the guy has no ability to, you know. Anyway, so <laughs> I, I look at uh, I look at the World Juniors and and I, I feel sorry for those kids because uh, no matter how much it might be unfair, they will be asked questions mm-hmm. about uh, the situation and. Um, I would encourage them to not dip their toe in it because it doesn't have anything to do with them. Um, it has to do with uh, you know what's happened in the past and what the adults and the people in charge of yeah. uh, caring for people and making sure the environment is what it should be. They're the ones who have to answer those questions now, and you shouldn't be asking a 17-year-old kid getting ready for a tournament about you know what happened, you know however many years ago that he had nothing to do with. Traditionally. The World Juniors is probably my favorite hockey of the year. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I don't even know who's getting ready to play for Canada. I, o- I only found out, I knew it was in August, but I only found out this morning that it on, starts on the 9th. Yep. I don't know if it's the Hockey Canada thing or the fact that it's in August, but this is barely on my radar at all. Where's your excitement level for attention? Um, I'm, I'm excited just because I'm a hockey guy, so yeah. I'm excited when there's best on best hockey. Um, but... You know, we've always known that for this tournament, you're not going to get the best mm-hmm. uh, because there are lots of teams that don't want their young players who are eligible to go because if they get injured in that tournament, it's right before their NHL training camp. So, if, you know, like, and, you know, he's coming back from a wrist injury anyway, so he wouldn't be going. But Jake Sanderson yep. still qualifies to play for Team USA, but he he didn't want to because he didn't want it to affect his training camp. And from what I understand, there's more players um, you know, whose agents and counselors are telling them if they're in that situation, you know, it's not in your best interest to play. Mm-hmm. It's not really the team-driven thing as much as it is, you know, their agents. If You know, if you get hurt going into your first training camp, yeah. to, you know, it, that can set you back, you know, an awful long way. Now, if you started the year in junior and you're going to Christmas time, that's a different thing, sure. but you're at a different place now. So, you know, and I understand that and I agree with that. That's, well, the last that's, big name we saw was Kirby Doc, right? And he came back, did yeah. get hurt, ruined the rest of his season yeah, yeah, for Chicago. Know. So, so you know, it, it, it's one of those things where I think we all know that it's at a time we're not used to, number one, and we do know that there's no way that these rosters will be as good as they could be if it was held at the traditional time. So it, it isn't as best on best, but I, I, I don't know about you, Matt, but the closer we get to it, that you're going to see a lot more promotion of the tournament, yeah. and you're going to get that feeling. As Canadians, we just, you know, we're, we're it. yeah, it's moth <laughs> flame thing. You know, you're drawn to it, you just are. Do you think, maybe this is kind of a silly question, um, you know, on the jersey, will we see the, that Hockey Canada logo or something more like they yeah. do at the Olympics where they're not allowed to use it? It's just kind of a maple leaf or something. Like, Because I do wonder how much it's even in Hockey Canada's best interest right now to be slapping people in the face with that while you're trying to get them yeah. to watch and forget about it, right? Would you be yeah. better off with just like an old school maple leaf of some kind? I don't know. I think yeah. there'd be just as many people who'd be critical saying, see, they're not, they're they won't hiding. even put their own ground. Yeah. And the thing is the reality, and I don't I don't know the legalities, and legalities is the wrong term, what, what the rules are with the IAHF. You know, if you're the sanctioning body, the International Ice Hockey Federation doesn't invite Canada 
to the tournament. No. They invite the Canadian Hockey Federation, yes. you know, the, the, the uh, Hockey Canada. That's who's invited. And Hockey Canada puts together a team to represent them in that tournament. Right. So, you know, when, when, when people say, yeah, we got to get rid of Hockey Canada. Well, hold, hold on a second. You might want to change the name or something. <laughs> right. But to be able to play internationally, you have to have an organized body that is recognized by the International Ice Hockey Federation. Yeah. It just can't be... There's some guys from Canada coming. Change the sign out yeah. front tomorrow. So, you know, it's just, it's those, yeah, it's those technicalities that, you know, it's easy to say, you know, disband Hockey Canada. Well, the, there's going to be a next thing that has to be a governing body because you can't be in the IIHF without a governing body in your country. So um, I, I have a feeling, well, obviously we're going to see fewer logos, period, because so many sponsors have, have pulled yep. out. So it's going to be financially devastating for Hockey Canada, financially. Um but I would be surprised if they messed around with the base uniform very much simply because I think there would be as much blowback if you took the Hockey Canada insignia off the jersey as if you left it on. I'm not sure how they win or lose that. Yeah, damned you know. if you do, damned yeah, if you don't. Yeah, yeah, you know, like, if you take it off, there's going to be, you know, Twitter will be just, you know, I can't believe these guys took a <laughs> strip. suggesting or... Twitter's unreasonable. Are you? What? No. <laughs> no, no. Uh, last thing for you then before we get out of here, Dean, is... Like I said, the the bulk of the uh, free agent signings have happened. We've seen some trades. Yep. Who uh, outside of Ottawa? Mm-hmm. Who have you liked uh, in the off season that they've had so far? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I've been perplexed by some things. I've been yes. perplexed by some of the contracts that Florida has signed. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of Ottawa guys uh, that I was surprised they signed, even though they signed them for the minimum. I was surprised they signed them. And the Stahl brothers heading down for that traditional yeah. Florida retirement trip. Yeah, I, guess. I, I don't, I don't, I don't get some of that. Yeah. Um, I, I was surprised Vancouver didn't do more. Right. Um, and uh, to be honest with you, I was surprised how much. And you, you know, you can never. I'm not sure you can ever win a trade when you're trading a 24 year old 104 point player. But I was surprised at the return that Calgary yeah. got for Kachuk. When was the last time we saw two 100-point guys swapped oh. for each other? It's like a real hockey trade all over yeah. again. It's, it's uh, And obviously, it's not one you can evaluate today. You know, no. that old adage of whoever got the best player got the won the trade, so then that would be Florida. But if Calgary is able to re-sign Uyghur and Huberdo, it's pretty oh, good. It's pretty good. So you get a first-round pick, you get yeah. two, two of those guys, and you get a prospect. So, you know what I mean? So that one... Um, I, I was surprised because, like you said, you just generally don't see players of that caliber being traded for each other. Yeah. Um, so yeah, things like things like that. I, I I have to say that I was and am surprised after the fallback season that the Islanders had last year that more hasn't happened on Long Island. I, I don't know why, and I, you know that Lou, Lou has a tendency of keeping things quiet. I wonder how many of these guys have signed Islander contracts, and we just don't know yet. <laughs> well, they can't have signed. They could have agreed, but haven't signed because as soon as you sign, it has to be registered with True. the league, and you can't keep that secret. True, but but yeah, like how many how many little quiet deals he's yep. already agreed to? Never and, know. I, yeah. I really like Colorado. I'm surprised how much they. You know, we all were hearing all the way through that Cup final how many of these guys are going to have to go. Yeah. And they've managed to lock up Manson and Nachushkin, and it's possible they're working on making Kadri fit. Like I, yeah, I, I think it's impressive what they've been able to hold together out there. After now, they still have to worry. We're a year away from Nathan McKinnon no longer making about half what he's worth. Yeah, uh, so there's got to be some space left there. But I really like what Colorado's done yeah. so far. Yeah. Well, you know, Colorado. Uh, you know, Colorado's um, path to this is 
is is not a secret and it's not out of the ordinary. They they have made it work, but you know this is the same game plan the Leafs have used in their rebuild, and they haven't had as much success. And I know no. Leaf haters are going to you know jump all over that, but Toronto is still a very very good team that has to find I think more balance to be able to move ahead. But mm-hmm. still, you look at what they've done in their rebuild. You look at what like as we mentioned with Colorado, they had forty four points five years ago, and now they're Stanley Cup champions. But they've done it by doing all those things through the draft, getting great players when you build that core surrounding them and then get some goaltending and there you go. So, um, yeah, I I like what Colorado's done as well, but I I think that is... That is now the template for virtually every every team that commits to a teardown rebuild because there's still a lot of teams that just don't think their fan base would put up with one. Yeah, but they but they need they need to have one. Well, you like, know, like like Detroit. Yeah, what if they, they they did the rebuild thing? But I don't know that they came out with any of the. You know, obviously, cider is going to be great. Lucas yeah. Raymond looks really good. But did they get enough before deciding? Okay, we're turning. Yeah, get Andrew Kopp and Ben Sherratt and. Yeah, I don't know. Those are good players, but yeah, but we'll see. But that, but we know what they were trying to do, yeah. and you just evaluate whether they whether they make it happen. But you know, you you look at what Florida's done. But you know, you everybody knows where the end of the road goes. If you're successful in it, you're Chicago. Yeah, you end up a couple of years later have to going into a full teardown rebuild, and you wonder what you do with two guys who are each making ten and a half million dollars, but you can't win with them. You know, you had to pay you had to pay Kane and Taves because they led that whole thing, and you yep. won multiple cups, and you don't regret doing it. But you know, you look at where Florida is right now, and if you go to Cap Friendly. When's the next time they get to pick in the first yeah. round? They they have pushed all their chips into the middle of the table here, you know? And, and I don't know that they're better right now than they were, like you said, like that this offseason has been fascinating for that. I really like Matthew Kachuk, but are they better without Uyghur and Huberto? Yeah. That's well, I, big pieces. When we were, when we were doing uh, on the pregame shows, we were doing heading towards the playoffs, a couple of our. And Giroux, uh, too, I guess. Yeah, and Giroux. Yeah. Uh, we were doing one of our, you know, where do you think all. And, and I was the only guy on our broadcast who said. Uh, I don't see Florida getting past the second round. I go, what are you talking about? Look yeah. at all the goals. In the playoffs, goals is not the issue. I said, here's here's what would scare me. One of the things that would scare me if I'm Florida, and it ended up being true. And I said, I'm not trying to pick on the goaltending, but if you're a team that truly aspires to win the Stanley Cup and your number one goaltender isn't in the top 15 in save percentage, isn't and like you start going through all the stats, the team's penalty kill isn't in the top half of the league. You start yeah. going down some of those key things that might make a playoff team. Florida was deficient in all of them. And that ended up being the thing because in the playoffs, as as we all know, as we all know, um, you can't score your way to the Stanley Cup. You have to defend your way. You still have to score goals. I'm not saying you're going to win every game one nothing, but the point is that being an overtly offensive team and not being able to defend is not a way to win. It's just, it's, it's just you, you, you just can't win. Well, and I think Florida also had maybe nine more overtime wins than anyone else in the division at three-on-three three there, which starts to, again, narrow that gap between them and everyone else. Like, they were legit for what they did, but there was a little bit of a house of cards thing yeah, going on yeah. there. And Well, and you know, the, the other thing, and th- as much as this game has changed, Matt, there's some things that just don't change. It has been 29, well, now 30 years, not with, with this year, now yeah. 30 years, where there has only been one team in the National Hockey League, one team in the National Hockey League uh, to win the Stanley Cup with a regular season goals against above three. 
That was Carolina in 06. Hmm. Every other team can defend. Every every other team. So you can look this different now, that's different now. Look at look at just the don't don't even before you even go into any really good analytics and really start working on some, you know, some great possession numbers and like all the stuff that analytics is really good at. Mm-hmm. Just go to a base generic number about how many goals do you allow per game on average? If you're above three in the regular season, you can't win the Stanley Cup. Because in the last 30 years, yeah. only one team has managed that. So history tells you as much as the game has changed in that regard, it has not. Wow. I thought you were going somewhere else when you said in the last 30 <laughs> years, as we've also uh, no Canadian teams in the last yeah, 30 yeah. years. Yeah. Of, uh, I can't explain that, but yeah. You buying it all into, uh, here in Ottawa, probably not, into this narrative that Americans don't want to be here anymore because I can think, you know, Kachuk just locked up, Norris is just mm-hmm. locked up, uh, you know, Matthew's coming to the end of his, but Josh Anderson recently signed, yep. you know, it's, I, I don't know, it seems like kind of a weak narrative that Americans suddenly are making a mass exodus from Canada. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm very fortunate to be in a situation where you get to talk to a lot of players about a lot of different topics, and, and this is one of them. And it's, uh, it's, there's no mass answer where you can make a blanket statement about Americans. Yeah, there are some American guys who want to live in the United States. Sure. They, it's where they grew up. It's, you know, they, they never, when they were growing up, didn't aspire to play in a Canadian team. That whole thing, you know, being able to play in, in a hockey hotbed like, you know, we have in Canada in, in every Canadian city, mm-hmm. it's not something that moves the needle for them. Um, yeah, so there's some of those guys. There's other guys where they are only interested in going wherever they think they have a real chance to win. Right. If that's in Canada, they're fine with They don't care. Yep. And then there's other guys who want to specifically within their career at some point, they want to play in Canada specifically. They want their kids uh, mostly Canadian guys who've spent most of their careers in the United States, they want their kids to understand what it means when you're in a Canadian community being in the NHL because it's different from most other American NHL cities. For sure. It's not, it's not the same. Well, you know, um, Holden was saying that, you know, when he signed his deal. He took less money to re-sign. If you remember, he was making 1.5. He mm-hmm. signed a one-year deal for 1.3. He said one of the reasons was our family loves being here. Our family, we're Canadian. Our fam- and this point in my career – to be able to play in Canadian market, have my kids be able to play minor hockey in a place where there's more than five rinks, and, you know, to be able to have my kids be at the age where they can see me play in the NHL in a Canadian market, that was something that I wanted. So there's always guys like that. What I know is it is that there's no one answer where all American guys want this and all American no. guys, you know, that's... And, there, and there's other guys uh, who are only interested... Um, in the money side of it. So any place where there's no state tax, they're interested in playing there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all different, all different kinds of reasons. But, you know, the, the overriding Americans don't want to play in Canada. There are some Americans who don't want sure. to play in Canada. And there's some Canadians who don't want to live in American cities because mm-hmm. they feel their families aren't safe. That is also a thing. Yep. No, and I, I, like, I think about this a lot. Obviously, the Austin Matthews thing is going to come to a head here in the next for sure year will. or two. For sure it will. I've never paid even the slightest bit of attention to the critici- or the thought that he's going home to Arizona. He might go to New York. He might go to LA. Yep. He might get like, I, I very much get the sense from that guy. I kind of like being a star, right? Yep. I kind of like, and Toronto is a great place to do that. And they will have a good shot at making him a very well played play, but I don't think he's going to Arizona yeah. where they can't, He's not going to be a star in Arizona. No, I think that, I think you're right. I think, and I don't know him, but just the impression I get, um, from his press conferences and other media and advertising 
yep. things that he takes advantage of. I think it's highly likely that Austin Matthews will prefer to sign in a city that has a lot of photographers. Yes, I think you know, that's right. Um, there's gonna, there's, he, he wants to, he's going to want Yeah, he wants to be in a lot of magazines yeah. wearing new clothing. Yeah. Uh, so, and that could be Toronto's lots could of be. lots of photographers, lots of magazines in Toronto. He, he could be staying there. But I agree with you. I, you know. I remember talking to a player years ago about that playing in your hometown. And he said, yeah, for some guys, that's a huge thing. They want to at least, you know, usually at the end of their career, but at some time, you know, like John Tavares, you know, Jason Spezza, they, they, they want to play in their hometown. And, and that's, that's not a nothing. But he said, you know, the idea that during the core of their career, that's the draw, he said, usually not. You know, because they can see being close, they can see their family all summer long, you know, but they know that their career is short. So wherever you can go to make money and win, go there. That's your... Well, that's that's the other thing on Arizona too, right? Like they're a disaster right now. And if he's leaving Toronto in two years, they're not going to be turning that thing around yet. So they're not going to be ready to know. No. So like I said, I could see him in Chicago, LA, Miami. Like I... I wouldn't say Chicago because they'll be in the same... That's true. In their teardown, they'll be in the same place Arizona's at. I just mean those types of markets, right? Like you said, I I think where he can have a certain... uh, a certain presence. I think he kind of digs that. And if he wants to be a star, Toronto's a decent place to do it, but we'll see how many more defeats he gets before yeah. then. <laughs> I think, I think, you know, if, if nothing changes for him in Toronto and mm, I can kind of understand this, um, I think, you know, one of the things, whether he says it or not, might be going to a place where he's not constantly reminded on social mm-hmm. media and in the normal mainstream media about how he hasn't been able to lead his team anywhere. Yep. I, I just, just the, the, the body language when he's asked questions like that just tells me that he is so sick of that already. Well, it's like the Battle of Ontario question. Yeah. Like, yeah, I have to wear these last couple, but I don't want to hear about 1984 or yeah. 1994. Yeah. 72 had nothing to do with me. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, exactly. So, but you can already tell that he's kind of sick of that, you know? Don't blame him. I'm yeah, pretty no, sick of it too. I get it. I get it. But... <laughs> He is going to, you know, whether you like it or not, he is going to be one of those guys who's pretty much going to be able to pick where he goes because yep. when you can score 50, you get all the all the options. All the options are to you if you're a 50 guy. Uh, big center, pretty good in his own end too. Like he's, there's not going to be many free agents like no, that if he, no. uh, if he gets his chance. So. Nope. And whatever the max is, he'll be getting it. I think so. I think so. Uh, and maybe that's why Matt Murray has ended up in Toronto instead of uh, Jack Campbell because one ends up at two years and... One ends in yeah. five, and the Leafs are going to need some cap flexibility well, at that point. I so. just hope Matt. You know, I I like Matt, yep. uh, but you know, I hope I hope Matt can stay on the ice. That yep. th- that's for me. That's the biggest thing for him going forward. I wish him well. Hope things work out for him. But for Matt, the the biggest thing here in Ottawa, and to be honest with you, one of the bigger things in in Pittsburgh when he was there, because we talked to the people in Pittsburgh, he's had a real hard time staying on the ice. And you hate to use the word injury prone, because that's kind of like a label you put on somebody that's, but he has had over his career a very hard time staying on the ice. When he has been healthy and his mind has been in the right place, Mm -hmm. he has been a very, very good goalie. But you got to be on the ice. You, you can't. You can't win anything from the trainers' room. You no. know, and that's that's a hard reality. Yeah, I, I've been pretty honest on this show. I'm surprised this is the direction they've gone. Uh, I am concerned, but once camp starts, I will be a, a booster for He'll sure. Be for him, I yeah. need him to do well, right? Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, and so I hope he does. And he's been through some stuff. Yeah, so. I, I, you know, I, I, I hope well for him because he's a good guy. I like him. But as far as evaluating the trade, I was surprised that a team 
that is win-now mode is rolling the dice on a guy that hasn't been able to stay on the ice. That's that's also something that doesn't Dubas happen. Dubas may be often. hanging his whole tenure on this. You know uh, what? He, he probably is. At, yeah. the, at the end of the day, if Matt Murray can't be what he was, this team can't win the Stanley Cup. And if this team can't win the Stanley Cup, that's what it's that's built it. for. And that's, you know, they're jammed up against the cap because of that. Yep. If it doesn't happen, that is going to be looked at as a major personnel error down the road if it doesn't correct itself. Totally agree. Uh, I can't tell you how much I agree. Or <laughs> I very strongly agree, Dean. Strongly agree. Yeah. I can't tell you how much I, I super appreciate agree you with coming that. in here and, oh, no uh, and making some time in your summer. Um, very cool of you. And, well, I feel uh, like I'm, you know, coming in after Patricia Bowl. I feel like I'm just like the, the ugly step Tough kid. shoes to yeah, follow, yeah, eh? Tough, tough she, shoes. she was a lot of fun to talk to. Yeah, and, uh, yeah Patricia's fun. Did, uh, so you were saying, so let's, comp- let's, let's do the chain here. Because okay. Lloydie was in here on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said that uh, he tra- uh, he was trained by Patricia Bull yep. at CFRA. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm wondering, you got to tell us here, where does your career cross paths with Patricia. Well, at CFRA, I, you know, I originally started here at CFRA and when Trish got out of school and got her job at CFRA, I was the sports director. Okay. So I would see her every morning. I did the morning sports and so she was a reporter. Um, and then after I think a year or two, she started anchoring weekends and stuff like that, but she came in as a young reporter. And so I would see her every morning when she was getting her assignments and heading off and at station functions. But yeah, yeah, I, I you know, she would I have been around the, the sends with you a bit too, I guess, later on when she was working. Yeah, the score when she was working for the score, she'd be around the hockey and the football and you, you'd see her, every, you know, out, out and around all over the place. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, but you know, she was, when, when I was, like I said, when I was doing mornings, she was, uh, you know, a bright eyed kid. Kid just coming into the business, but you always you always knew with Trish, you know, she's very as you very bright, very quick, you yeah. know, like you know, yes. she's uh, she's got great wit and she's very quick. So you just knew right from the bat if she wanted to be in this business, there would always be a place for her in this business, and there always has, and there always will be. If she, if Trish ever decided she didn't want to be a news anchor, uh, there's a lot of other places, even in a declining business, whereas you know the number of people who have jobs in this business, the number of jobs that are out yeah. there. Uh, she is a person who would get another one if she didn't want to have this one, yeah. which is saying something in today's business. Um, but yeah, no, she's very talented and she's always been very talented. And when she first started, she was very talented. She just needed experience. And once she got that, then really she could pick and choose what she wanted to do. She was off and running and... Uh for the good listener, if you missed that, that was episode 995. Go back and check that out wherever you're hearing this right now. So I'm 996? You're 996. So who's between me and the 1,000 who's going to be basically your crew? You're not going to have any other guests. So, right. So there's me. So who's 997? 997. Someone else you know pretty well. Steve Bunda is going to be here. Oh, Bunda. Okay. Yeah, Bunda, on, the Bunds uh, master. Yeah, on Tuesday morning. And then we're still kind of... Feeling things out. Not some massive unknown nope. guest that you're going to drop. Basically, nah. it's, a, it's an open garage stall. Exactly. <laughs> Just <laughs> waiting to figure out which car drives It might be in. me sitting here by myself <laughs> yammering at the microphone. <laughs> we'll see how things come together there. Uh, but uh, that's sort of the plan. And then, yeah, the whole crew's in on uh, episode 1000, which will drop on, uh, on Monday, August 8th. Well, once again, like I said off the top, congratulations. That is a fantastic milestone. Not easy to do. And uh, doing a thousand of these, outstanding. Good for you. Thank you very much, Dean. I appreciate it. Like I said, I appreciate you coming in. And uh, we'll look forward to hearing you call this exciting new version of the Senators come in the fall. Yeah, and you and I will talk again soon. I can't wait. And uh, for everybody else, we'll sign off here. As I said, this has been episode 996. Wait, what did I say? This is episode 996. Yeah, 996. Okay. This is episode 996. I was getting getting t-shirts made. I'm 996. (laughs) So if you're changing my number, I got to make a call. 
Uh, we're on Twitter and Instagram at Talkin Audio. We'd love it if you'd give us a follow there and make sure you're subscribed wherever you're hearing us right now. Lots more great stuff to come. Until next time, my name's Matt Robinson. Thanks for listening. How was that? Number one bullshit. No, number one bullshit. Why are you so pissy? Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe to Tall Can Audio on your favorite podcast app and find us on social media at Tall Can Audio.